And welcome to yet another episode of The Dice Are Screaming, coming oh. at you recorded. And that's also going to be recorded. Oh. <laughs> the soft scream. Ah. No, yeah, you, you won't see that getting any uh, billing time uh, as scream work for Supernatural or, or uh, you know, any of Clive Barker's movies. Oh, well, yeah. No, the soft scream of overworked dice. Yep. And hitting the table, as it is, uh, we're coming at you with some topic, uh, fresh off of our last Friday's uh, free form, which was talking about the Wendy's RPG, seeing that the was well-received, so thank you all for those who commented. Um, we don't have any call-ins tonight, so we're just going to get right into some topic, right after a little bit of preamble. Oh, sure, well, you know, I mean, and, and even perhaps pre-preamble. Pre-pre-preamble? All right. Well, I'm interested in that, so... First of all, just uh, well, one. Well, first, you know, I mean, eventually we'll get to the amble. <laughs> oh, but uh, we're always ambling. First, now. we we got a preamble, so now right. we're preambling. So, just uh, a little touch base with some of our fine supporters out there: uh, Frostoff, the Cyanic Platypus, wherever you are, we love you, man. And also uh, Jason over at the RPG Nerd Variety, variety Cast, yeah, Variety Cast, as well as Deep Recentals. and Unguarded Treasure, yeah, and Shandy Andy. I love Unguarded Treasure, which just yeah. you know what a great name. So many of these podcasts have names that are better than ours. Well, and I'm the one who came up with this name. Well, we both did. I, I know we we ran down a list and. You know, one of my creations just happened to get the pick, but, uh, you know, we collaborated on it, and uh, I, I listen to the world of podcasting, and I hear ideas and, like, titles that are just stellar, man. You know, that just give me a terrible inferiority complex. Well, which uh, speaks well of Joe Richter's podcast, Hindsightness. Ah, Hindsightness. Yes, looking behind and looking behind at us. Yeah, I always thought Trees Were Screaming was one of my favorite uh, little groups out there, so I always liked it. That was the uh, the old black and green magic deck that I had back mm-hmm. during the, yeah, if I'm dating myself here, the Dark Era. Uh, you know, revised the Dark. Uh, Legends and Antiquities had just uh, come and gone, but uh, revised in the Dark were, were all the rage, along with Fallen Empires. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, yeah, the trees are screaming. Green and yep. black deck. <laughs> but all right, well, we're going to go take a quick break and do some paying of the bills for advertisement. Oh, sure. And then we'll uh, be back at you with some topics. So stick around. All right, and we're back. And we're back with some topic. Yes, we are. We oh. have some topic for you tonight. Yeah, topical. Topical topic for the topic of the day. So... As it's Topic Tuesday, what are we going to talk about this week? Well, aren't you surprised? Because we certainly were. It's nature as an adversary, not only in D&D, but other role-playing games as well. Well, nature as an inspiration to gaming. Uh, Because there is a lot that you can get out of paying attention to the natural world and then translating that into challenges in your own game. Now, we we brushed up against this in the, the land itself is your enemy, where we were talking about inclement weather and difficult terrain, but that's not the same as nature as your enemy. Uh, there are creatures, flora and fauna alike, 
in the natural world, the everyday, mundane, humdrum world of your own country or backyard, that are dangers to human life. Uh, and why should adventurers be cheated of this opportunity to experience uh, sudden and terrible agonizing death? <laughs> Indeed. Just because it's real doesn't mean you can't have it in a fantasy game. So we'd like to call so a uh, subtitle this podcast Thoreau running a D&D game. <laughs> On Walden Pond. Yeah. With orcs. So <laughs> watch out for those goblins. They're mean. Uh, no, it, it it's uh it's an interesting thought that I'd I'd had for a while. Uh because when I first picked up D and D books it, it seems like one of the first things I did uh, as I looked at descriptions of giant spiders and huge centipedes uh, and, you know, various creatures that were certainly similar to things that we, we have here in the everyday world. Uh, and I, I looked at those and I thought, well, geez, what's the Guinness Book of World Records say about this? You know, what's what's the biggest centipede ever found? Uh, what's the, the largest spider known to man? And uh, lo and behold, I found answers, and some of them were more terrifying than the stuff in the, in the monster manual. Right, and any look at uh, the naturalist guides, even going back as far as the last uh, Ice Age, you see a lot of large predators, specifically carnivores, that certainly went out... Uh, a style real quick with the arrival of man and the atlatl and other such things. So they stick with us as primary examples of facing the great unknown or just travel in itself was hazardous because you never knew what you were going to come across. Even today, a trip through Yellowstone with a grizzly bear or other, um, a large pack of wolves that are slightly aggressive can be unnerving and but even for the most part, they won't attack unless provoked or extremely hungry. But we still are reminded that, of course, the encounter tables inside the Dungeon Master's Guide, as well as many modules and other games, are salted with a plethora of natural monsters or predators that can be, and even, well, some uh, herbivores, that can be particularly dangerous, such as buffalo, which nobody thinks of, well, that bumped up low aren't really that dangerous. Well, yeah, when you get close to them. Uh, and a, <clears throat> a frightened stag uh, protecting a herd of deer. Actually, pretty freaking dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, those horns are not for show. <laughs> or a moose that's mistaken you for a mate. Oh, well, all right. Uh, as long as we're going to the worst of all possible yep. circumstances. Uh, another example would be, albeit not so much in this country, uh, you know, in here, a small spider that happens to be poisonous, uh, it can be dealt with in a hospital with some antivenin or lots of antibiotics and things like that to stop the ne necrosis. But uh, <laughs> there are other countries where just routine things like insects can be Huge. Yeah, in the Pirates campaign running a... Uh, they were on an island in Skull and Shackles, and, uh, of course, one of the great problems was is the level of mosquitoes and botflies in and around the area that were biting the players. 
they had to make constant checks until they were able to formulate some type of insect repellent uh, for disease. And of course, we don't really think about that too much these days because, well, the level of antibiotics and uh, curatives are a lot more readily available. But not to mention over-the-counter sprays that kill off all the bugs in your house, and uh, not to not to poo-poo it, but there's any number of remedies available to diminish that as a problem. But there's a reason that in the ancient world, part of the hygiene requirement was the use of oils, uh, which were then rubbed into the skin, because this smothered uh, the tiny biting insects of the day that like burrowed into skin. So if you were basically slathered in oil from head to toe, you were bug resistant, or at least certain kinds of bugs. Yep. Uh, so yeah, this was a reality of the ancient world, and it was just nature being mean to people, and you have, there is no reason you can't hijack that and be a huge annoyance to your players. And kudos to these skull and shackles people for thinking of that one. Uh, the reality of uh, uns, you know, unsettled areas and even marginally settled areas. Well, it's not called the Fever Coast for no reason. Oh. But Boy, nonetheless, that's yeah, that, that's right next to the slithering reefs. Uh, but we don't talk about those. The screaming but, eels. Yeah, they'll drive you insane. So the thing is, is that D&D took the basic precepts of vermin and other such insects and turned them big. <laughs> with you know, a vengeance. You know, giant centipede, you know, you know well, a centipede may be a little creepy or unsettling, especially if you find one in your sleeping bag, but they're not too bad. But one that's pretty big, like, what is the Malaysian ones? It gets about, like, almost a foot long. Whoa! They can eat, uh, you have to feed them mice. Horrifying thought, and uh, definitely not a pet for the pain of heart. But, you know, um... Also, the appearance of some cave spiders recently that have gotten over a foot long leads some credence to the huge spider category in the old first edition monster manual. But more specifically, what you want to talk about is besides uh, lovelorn moose attacking your ranger, <laughs> what you want to try to put in there is that even herd animals represent a certain tac tactical danger in the fact that if you move too close to them, they may get aggressive. And nobody thinks about buffalo being trampled because, well, they're... Not as prevalent as they once were, but the Native American talked quite a little bit about uh, the sudden movements of large herds of buffalo being a menace, literally running over entire villages or small settlements. Well, yeah, see, it's it's not such a bad thing when there's 30 or 40. Right. But when there's three or 4,000, this is a huge problem. Uh, not even kidding. A stampede, uh, yeah, is regularly recorded... Um, happenstance in the early settlers of the Plains areas. So, you know, that's something that to bring up that you're not necessarily going to be able to overcome by just throwing fireballs, although a wall of fire might be handy. True. Uh, of course, uh, you are trampled by flaming buffalo. Ah! Oh, boy. Hot buffalo wings. No, yeah, that's how they got started. All right. <laughs> ah, somebody but get some sauce. You also run the kind of weird gamut of the fusion that D&D put with fantasy elements as well as the natural uh, obstacles and hazards of surviving weather, you have this weird gamut of like, well, things like a griffin, which in a fantasy setting 
only exists, but of course, if you start to think about it, the griffin itself is a top-level predator. You combine all the ferocity of an eagle with the rapaciousness of a lion. Oh, yeah. Did you see those pictures of the harpy eagle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, this this bird so big that people thought it was a guy in a suit, you know? Yep. <laughs> the talons on that thing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. At, let's face it. Uh, you've disturbed a nest of those. You would really wish you hadn't. Now, Griffin may be a magical creature, but it's not too out of the extraordinary to place it within an ecological system. And then you combine things with, like, boules and onkegs. Oh, boy. Yeah, beholders and, and crazy monsters of D&D, you know, but... Yeah, uh, I, I would definitely want to talk about the less sentient ones, where they still have a natural order to them. Um, like, an onkeg is just primarily a burrowing grub-like mantis that just, you know, comes right up, spews you with ass, grabs you what's left, and slurps you up. Yeah, a gargantuan praying mantis that spits acid. Yeah, how scary is that? Now, you know, that said, you make a good point, that it conforms to a certain natural order of things. You know, the, the core concept behind it is that it's just a creature, doesn't have any grand designs, doesn't want treasure, doesn't want to communicate, has no interests, what it wants is to largely find prey, eat that prey, and make more onkegs. Yep, and even the boule, um, although uh, its preferred prey is halflings, and some people say, yay, <laughs> you know, except if you're a halfling. <laughs> <laughs> Their ability to burrow fast, basically called the land shark because it puts its little fi uh, fin up. Land shark. Who? Yeah, okay. I mean, uh, pizza delivery. Oh, okay, yeah, SNL skit back in the day. But again, yeah, the land shark, a fierce predator, and also uh, much uses its mimic ability to get people to open their doors. Yes, yes, many, many a Trojan horse moment has taken place there. No, uh... <laughs> Chinese delivery. Those, those instances in D&D where larger more magically oriented creatures like the owl bear, you know, yeah. which, which is really just like meeting a grizzly bear in the wilderness, you know. To, just you, angrier. Yeah, angrier. Uh, <laughs> no, no, they're friendly. They just want to hug. Until yeah. they pop. Until every bone in your body is broken. Yeah, yeah that's that's the owl bear for you. Um, but to pull it back towards uh, natural creatures, top-tier predators, as you mentioned... Uh, like the griffin, you know, that's something that, while the griffin is fantastic, uh, its constituent parts include something more leonine, right. which the, the classic big cats uh, are still predators of man, you know, like even today, uh, albeit somewhat more rarely. Uh, examples being the poachers who were devoured by lions, yeah. uh, which, uh, fabulous irony. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but there are uh, secondary records of large cats, including tigers, uh, being an enormous menace and uh, you know preying upon people in India. Yeah, there was just also a leopard in Africa that uh, killed reportedly over 300 people in Good a nine-year span. They could not find it, finally. And its preferred prey was children, right? oh. because it would just strike, kill them, and run up a tree. And devoured what it wanted and left the rest. 
Yeah, yeah. Basically decided that, uh, you know, uh, human was every bit as good as... Well, they prey on baboons uh, and probably primates, uh, small ones, but... So if they run low on their other preferred prey, they just branched out said, Hey, well, you know, I mean, you know, a little one is a little one. Yep, and, you know, baboons travel in packs and are highly aggressive when confronted with a leopard throwing stones and <clears throat> self-generated projectiles. <laughs> but uh, they do harry a leopard oft times uh, to leave them alone. Now, this is why I, I have often fallen back on my long-standing credo that, uh, uh, you know, everything I really needed to know about life, I learned from watching the monkey house at the zoo. True. Uh, you know, get as many free, peanut, free peanuts as possible, get off as much as you can, and throw poop at mean people until they go away. Right, and if it sounds like, you know, you're watching a lot of the Discovery Channel, well, you're not wrong uh, to get inspiration, but... You know, yeah. taking it too far can also be bad because when people, especially DMs, tend to over-extrapolate data that's gathered from a rarefied condition because the Earth is, for the most part, been relatively domesticated by most humans in their area. A few wild places remain, of course. The one right north of us, the British North West Territory in Canada, is very wild and uh, is known for disappearances all the time. Not predators, true. and they also feel a certain predation from wolves have started to once again prey on people. A couple oil rig workers out there in the uh, you know uh, natural gas ones have been uh, killed by wolves just walking back and forth. Oh wow! Ah, but yeah, case in point. Uh, another thing you brought up that I, I think is probably important to to pause and reference is, uh, you know, the point of this is not to suggest that a campaign. Uh, should be satisfied with nothing but, you know, earthly enemies, you know, just... Right. To, but when you give a consideration to where are the players at this time, you know, how wild is the place that they're in? Uh, you're in the middle of town, not such a big deal. Uh, but wild places, forests, deep caverns, uh, forgotten lands, ruins, things like that... Uh, it's a nice touch, artistically, to me, to have a few elements in that ecosystem that are perfectly natural. That, you know, uh, you, you may be working your way to the more exciting encounters, the more unusual magical-type creatures along the way, but you encounter these perfectly ordinary things. Uh, an example of that would be Lost Caverns of Sacant. The huge blind cave crickets. Mm -hmm. You know, here's this dungeon chock full of magical things. Uh, and right there in the middle of it is the tiny cluster of comparatively ordinary creatures uh, that are just minding their own business. But when roused by, you know, the arrival of strangers, you know, someone unfamiliar in their little uh, area of... Well, I, I assume... Feeding, their territory. Yeah, their turf, feeding and nesting. They're doing their own thing. Uh, they're not that dangerous individually, but a whole mess of them jumping, kicking, uh, and things like that, that turns out to be a little bit of a chaotic brawl for the player characters in a place where you really want to move quietly and not draw attention to yourself. Yeah, and some monsters are able to use these as defenses. But I'd also look at... Um, 
when some people say, well, you know, these uh, animal predations are, you know, against oil rig workers are pretty sublime, you know, because they only happen once in a while. They're pretty out of the ordinary, and you would be right. But we can look back to late 1944 in Malaysia, where an entire Japanese company tried to move through, and they were well-armed, well-equipped, and no stranger to the dangers of the jungle. But when being pressed by British special forces and Malaysian irregulars, they decided to retreat through a swamp, notorious for its crocodile population. Ooh. And the screams of the Japanese company were heard throughout for several days, and reports from the Japanese survivors, uh, 1,200 entered, approximately about 300 survived. Good grief. And of course, a lot of them were also wounded and uh, sick, moving at the time, which is why they chose to retreat, to gain some time. Uh, familiar with retreat, tactical retreats means not surrendering, but also regrouping for a more advantageous position later on, preserving your strength. Which, they figured that they could weigh their chances going through a swamp, which they have many times done before. And this time, the predation of the uh, crocodiles, crocogators, was so great that it actually decimated them just moving through it. And um, still to this day, it is told as the graveyard of the Japanese company that uh, traversed through there. And also, uh, in the early turn of the century, a British railway that was going through parts of East Africa was beset upon by just two male lions that bedeviled the entire production company of what was almost 10,000 people. It's estimated they killed over 300 people in near nightly attacks, even with hunters and a well-armed British colonel with great military experience. And they found that the lions could hide in less than seven inches of grass. <laughs> Something that made them nervous to ever present their backs again to the bush. So, again, what you're just really dealing with is that animals in a natural area have a greater command of its resources to remain unseen and strike from ambushes, which where they're primarily most successful. Now, does this mean that's going to kill Bill the 8th level fighter? Probably not. No, but getting dragged into the grass and not on for a while is, is certainly going to throw him off his tee. Yeah, and, you know, again, uh, if players are moving through an area that they consider, well, there's no orcs or monst great monstrous creatures, you can throw a few things like that in to harry their lower-level henchmen and hirelings. Uh, yeah, if you have a uh, outrider out in front of the party alone, uh, or someone bringing up the rear, covering the trail, operating on their own effectively, you know, more than, uh, you know, 20 or 30 yards away from the rest of the party. Uh, those are prime targets for uh, high-tier predators that uh, would find that opportune. You know, they just happen to be lurking in the grass, the crowd goes by, and then there's one straggler coming along behind, and pow! Right in a kisser. No, we almost lost a uh, one of our vigilante oh, in yes. our War of the Crown to a uh, just a saber-toothed cat. Now you said, well, just a saber-toothed cat. Well, it struck with surprise and rolled very well and did a lot of damage. And wow, he was almost down in one round. Oh, man. Yeah, that, was, that came as quite a surprise uh, to the yep. entire party. We were, you know, more primed for 
uh, encounters with banditry, human opponents, and things like that. The one thing we did not expect was to simply be jumped by a big cat and have a main character dragged off into the underbrush. Uh, it's a, I believe it, it, it was a concerted effort, but uh, that crossbow bolt to the heart did it. Yeah, critical hit chart saved somebody's life. And also, just to mention this, um, certain other, you know, putting giant templates or dire or whatever you want to call it on normal creatures does make them more of a menace to better armed and geared parties. For instance, a giant eagle, which in token is a rarely friendly creature, but you give a rock, a and not the kind that falls off a mountain, but the kind that layers up in a mountain on a nest, picking up a knight and his horse completely in full armor, and then, you know, the knight kills them when they're like 800 feet in the air, presents a very deep challenge. <laughs> ah. Well, yeah, let, let's just uh, let's just say that one hopes that the player character who has successfully terminated the creature carrying him in midair has a plan for getting to the ground safely. Plan? What plan? I'm making it up as I go along. No, well, and again, you're just using standard natural creatures. You're not going to get too far out in the limb if you use a rock. And also, you know, we all remember that great movie, 1975, that made us afraid to go into water, Jaws. Oh, a classic. So here's another classic, uh, a predator that has remained relatively unchanged, much like the crocodile and alligator. Yeah. Uh, unchanged, you know, through several extinction-level events uh, in, you know, the history of the Earth. Uh, why? Because it doesn't need to change. It does exactly what it does perfectly. <laughs> uh, predators of opportunity, uh, more than adaptable enough to handle changing their diet a little here or there, mm -hmm. and pretty much voracious and concentrated entirely on, you know, where's the next meal? Look how many men they killed in the... Uh... <clears throat> Sinking of the USS Indianapolis. Yeah, a terrifying event uh, that like, literally is spoken of amongst sailors and travelers of the high seas to this day for absolutely valid reasons. Uh, the concern that sharks will uh, get a hold of you. Yeah. It's not invalid at all. And the saltwater crocodiles off the coast of Australia. Probably the most uh, fearless predators that mankind still has around, and we don't go in the water too often because they are so vicious <laughs> and well-armored that sharks avoid them. Yeah, that, and if that tells you something right there, you know, where a shark goes, yeah, I, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to throw down about this. This is not my hill to die on. <laughs> yep, they get you and put you in the death roll, as they like to say, and you're done. Yeah, that, and so that's yet another ideal example. Now, what you mentioned about templates. Yeah. Uh, there are any number of templates which are little addendums that you can apply to a standard ordinary creature. Uh, if you have a rule set that embraces, here's your standard crocodile. Uh, you know, a couple of hit dice, you know, tough hide, things like that. You attach a dire template. Uh or an abyssal template, you know, something yep. like those. Uh, and you can make it a much, much tougher 
opponent. And you can keep piling on the templates as long as they're ones that don't neutralize one another. Like, you know, you cannot have Celestial and Abyssal at the same time. But but you can have a Dire Abyssal Crocodile. Sure can. So, you know, now you have a giant... uh, (laughs) Hellspawned Crocogator who just hates you and will smite the crap out of you. As well as snap its jaws. You know, Uh, this is the stuff of... You know, now of B-grade movies, you know. Sure, but, you know, it could have a local legend. And that's what you're kind of looking about is the ecological niche that these some of these monsters can hold. Take a look at that when you design encounters. And also keep in mind that uh, you power level your party. But you generally want to amp the encounter up as you get higher in level. For instance, even like a first level characters would grimace against going against a brown bear or Kodiak. Oh, yeah, uh. Anything in the grizzly category could easily be fatal or fatal to multiple characters. And even monsters like bugbears and ogres will respect the strength of such a creature. Yeah, that uh, you know when the other monsters in the area literally pause and go, "Oh, never mind." Uh, example of the bear in legend. There's a there's a song I've always liked called "Old Slewfoot." Oh, old Slewfoot. It was yeah. an old Johnny Horton tune. Uh, about a giant bear that had a bad attitude. Now, you know, make that a local legend and throw that at your player characters. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, besides salting it with the normal fantasy stock of creatures, you know, uh, the one thing I like to notice about aquatic monsters is you don't have to go too crazy to get dangerous aquatic monsters. Like a giant moray eel is with double set of jaws that pulls you down into its gullet. Yikes. Yeah, all the yikes. Uh, Not to mention the giant squids. Yeah, and, you know, we're finding that that's less and less of a legend as an actual possibility. But, you know, certain whales uh, also present a hazard uh, from the fact that some of the uh, cachalot or sperm whales, Moby Dick type, you know, their ability to... uh, now, it's been poo-pooed by certain people, but it actually comes out in registries that uh, some sperm whales did when harpooned ram the ship, collide into it, and since they're wooden mostly until the age of iron and steam, they could capsize a ship just by ramming into it. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, deservedly so. I mean, if, you know, you should see what I do if somebody throws a harpoon in. Yeah, you get rid you of know, that. A totally justifiable action on the whale's part. Ha. Huh. That having been said, oh. <laughs> uh, one angry creature and the big wooden boat that looked so sturdy and so tough and so seaworthy is half-kindling. Um. And, yeah, speaking of giant squids, when you bring up the Moby Dick thing, you know, they are carnivores. Oh, they, they absolutely are. They are carnivores. They are not... Yeah, that hard beak there is not... Uh, that is not for kelp. Oh, no, I was talking about the sperm whale. Mm. Yeah, they are a carnivorous whale. And uh, you know, said, well, the largest carnivorous whale is the uh, the orca. Well, yeah, they work in packs and they can kill other whales and are pretty much uh, the dominant uh, predator in the area, even above sharks, because of their pack mentality and ability to communicate. Oh, and their sheer size compared mm-hmm. to sharks. Uh, yeah, they're about 30 feet and weigh roughly about four tons of bone and muscle. Versus cartilage and, you know, other things. But, yeah, diet, all that Discovery Channel stuff you can look up on your own. But, yes, admirable as they are, you can uh, 
sea encounters and aquatic areas are already ripe with enough peril of the environment itself. Sudden storms, lack of food, fresh water. These are all things you need to take into account. We've covered these in other podcasts, but it's always worth mentioning that traveling across a large area of land involves more than just one or two rolls and then a rounding encounter table to see if any orcs show up. Think about the other things, especially camping at night. A large mountain lion in trees can strike that halfling rogue <laughs> because it's about its size. And, you know, also, you know, constricting snakes of yes, various large. types uh, are referenced in various DM guides, or sorry, DM monster guides. Yeah. That uh, large constrictors, uh, an example being, of course, anacondas in uh, Latin America, these simply enormous snakes that, you know, can grow to a size that is so large and so imposing that uh, while humanity is not their normal prey, uh, should they be roused to ire, uh, <laughs> it makes the snake in Conan uh, look like a Sunday stroll in the park. Yeah, and also small vermin like highly venomous toxic spiders. Um, yes, you have druids and things that can neutralize poison, do certain things like that, and also uh, nat- knowledge nature checks to extract a natural cure. And here's a DM jerk moment. Uh, you're saving that neutralized poison for that incredibly fatal moment, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that uh, you, your player characters are hanging on to a spare neutralized poison just in case somebody gets hit by the big critter. Uh, well, how comfortable are you in an environment where small poisonous creatures don't cause fatalities when they hit you, but a few poison snakes and scorpion stings that are diminishing your overall strength and well-being, uh, that neutralized poison that you were hanging on to for the emergency might wind up getting burned up just to, you know, get the yeah, poison out of somebody's system. Yeah, a lot of the, uh, even like uh, highly toxic snakes, highly venomous ones, usually don't kill within the first few moments. Usually. There are a couple examples of somebody I'm sure will bring out. But oh, um, yeah, the there's... Black Mamba in, um, is the East African Cobra, I think, is the most venomous of it. Oh, really? Or is it the Indian? I'm, I'm a little dusty on my uh, venomous snakes, but yeah, uh, I, I, I just avoid win, anything. I didn't win the gold medal in Cobra knowing. <laughs> yeah, I just avoid large, uh, aggressive snakes in, in the most part and leave them alone and Ergo, they leave me alone. But the uh, point is, is that adventurers go into places where they usually lair up because they're in a forlorn area and they may have eked out a certain living with other unnatural monsters, avoiding them in their own time, but also picking up other uh, small vermin and uh, small prey animals in the time and growing quite fat, large, and fearless in the time. Yeah, and I mean, let's face it, the giant rat is, uh, you know, no stranger to earth as well. Especially when you're crawling through tunnels. <laughs> I won't say it. So, <laughs> Oh, some bad memories for more than a few player characters. Yep. Uh, confined space in a large group of giant rats. And we would be remiss, click, click, if we didn't mention dinosaurs and the other uh, uh, pr- more primitive age. We don't call them primitive because they really weren't. But the uh, Ice Age, Cretaceous Age... Yeah, uh, I mean, if you roll the, the clock back long before uh, even the Ice Age, I mean, you've got to go back to a, you know, you've got to move back through a couple of extinction-level events 
but you can get back to the age of the giant lizards, which don't have to be well, the pleosaur and uh, a, could be layered up in a swamp or isolated lock. Oh, I didn't just that, didn't I? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, it could be. Could be. I mean, it's a legend in a lot of people's minds, so why not, right? Yeah, and I mean, and be warned, he wants his 350. Yeah. So. Blockness. <laughs> I'm not I'm making that connection. But South Park. Oh, well. South anyway, Park. yeah. He wanted 350. Okay. I'm hearing it. So, yeah, you can look at those as well, but... Uh, some people look at those as fantastic as well, and I'm kind of like, well, you know, always fascinating is the idea of the dinosaurs or Land of the Lost or even uh, a Lost World setting. And I think every kid campaign world can benefit from having your players getting chewed up by a T-Rex, even if it's on the Isle of Dread. <laughs> Which, uh, for my money, is one of the most fun encounters ever. Uh you know, fighting off a T-Rex on the Isle of Dread. That damn T-Rex has killed more characters than I think. It doesn't even seem like a proper game of uh, D&D going through the Isle of Dread unless you meet the T-Rex. But if you look at film, uh, television, and things like that, creatures of the natural world figure heavily into areas of menace. Even something as... Uh, simple as bees. There are, you know, the, the number of <coughs> bee movies involving oh. killer bees. Um, and there's no reason you can't throw that at your player characters as well. An area that, like, say, for instance, they've really got to move through it because that's the, the way to get to what it is they want. But the bees are highly aggressive. Yeah, not fun. Big bees. Big angry bees. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm down with that. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of dirty tricks that nature can just hand you for free. You don't have to put in overtime in the, in the monster manual working on these. Uh, and they spice up what is so frequently a magic-heavy game uh, that people forget about the dangers of the everyday world. So... Just borrowing a few of these per adventure, one or two to spice things up, uh, kind of humbles people like, oh, wow, you know, like we, we took out uh, the owlbear uh, in that one lair, but, you know, we got stymied, or what is it, we, we burned the green slime, uh, we, we dealt with the spores of the deadly yellow mold, but we were almost neutralized. By that skunk. Yeah. yeah, you know, that skunk came up in the middle of the night and ruined everything, man. We stink to high heaven. All our reaction rolls are negative 20. Oh, my goodness. Nobody wants to talk to us anymore. <laughs> we can't sell anything in the town until we get everything cleaned. Yeah, until we <laughs> find a giant source of tomato juice. <laughs> Take a collective party bath. <laughs> oh, no. But, yeah, I've done that before. I've definitely put uh, the pure skunk in people. Now, I, I do want to throw one last thing out here. Uh, one of my old favorites is also the flora, you know, the, the plants of the natural world. And there are a number of them in Dungeons & Dragons that have been echoed and enlarged. Uh, things that are more like, feed me see more. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, that just a little shop. I like that. Just nobody ever remembers like the giant Venus flytrap. All they remember is little shop of horrors. Yeah, you know. Mm. Uh, but 
an enlarged Venus flytrap plant or the sundew pitcher uh, plant. Pitcher plant. You know, these are very real concepts enlarged to a huge and deadly size. So don't neglect the opportunity to make use of these in, you know, jungle or wild settings uh, where the players aren't expecting them. Likewise, uh, you know, heavy thorns, impassable movement, uh, you know, little tiny scratches constantly until they're actually starting to, you know, lose a couple of hit points here and a couple of hit points there. Uh, you're just whittling them down, and it doesn't seem like it's all that serious. Until they're in a crisis moment, they can barely move, uh, and there's some predator that can better handle that environment than them. Uh, you know, just just a little thing in the old DM handbook of Dirty Pool. Yep, and I think that that will wind this out for the uh, round this out for the. Uh show and uh we probably abused our good welcome and your eardrums far too long so we're just going to end it up there and oh, i guarantee we have oh absolutely but you can expect no less <laughs> from the uh, hair metal cover band of <laughs> gaming podcasts did you seriously just compare us to steel panther <laughs> all right limousine oh well that too all right so, uh, again, if you have any questions or comments, concerns, things you'd like us to talk about, things you thought we uh, hit the mark on or where we missed out on, just let us know, either using the Anchor app, where you can leave us a handy little message, or you can let us know on Facebook, on our Dice is Screaming Facebook page, or in Twitter, where you can get a hold of me, Randy, at Death Hand Gaming, that's the ETH Gaming, or A&D Gaming. And MagiVox at Twitter.com. Yeah. Not the old Twitter bird. All right, but until next time, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. Yeah.